it is addressed to the Corinthian church, the intent was for more than the Corinthians to read this letter. Because he said here, I'm writing it to the Corinthian church and to all of his holy people throughout Greece. So this letter was supposed to be read by more than just the Corinthians, but to other churches throughout the region of Greece. He, and, and then he says now, Paul, uh, when he writes to Corinthians, he always have to kind of assert how he got to be where he is in ministry. 
You know, some letters, he don't have to go through all this saying he was chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. A lot of that. Because these folks did not acknowledge him and didn't always believe who he was and his calling. So therefore, sometimes he had to assert that. When in other letters, he very seldom had to do that. But sometimes, you know, when people were coming against him, he had to let it, let it be known that what he was doing was an assignment that God had given him. And so and he said, now look, May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Now, we've been talking about grace the last three weeks on Sunday, so I ain't going to spend a lot of time there, but we all know that grace is talking about God's unmerited favor. And he said, now look, as, as I'm praying that God would give you grace uh, as well as peace. I want you to have some internal tranquility. You know, I want you to, you, you know, knowing that you're at peace with God, then you got to be at peace on the inside too. And again, this church has some internal turmoil. The things that was going wrong was not necessarily coming from the outside of the church. It was happening because of the folk in the church. And we learned that from 1 Corinthians. They were broken up into different factions and believing this person, that person. And they put more emphasis on the human personality than they did on Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus Christ got to always be the focus. He, he is the one that our, our faith is built on. And so he is the focus, not the man or woman who is representing him in the earth, but we represent him, and so therefore we have to glorify him and not glorify ourselves. So he was saying grace and peace be uh, to you. And then he goes on now, he said, now look, in verse 3, when he started talking about God being a comforter, he says, all praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. Now he started to build his case about God being a comforter in order to assure them that no matter what they go through, God will comfort them, and in comforting them, he will comfort them so that they could be a comfort to others. And so he was now telling them, hey look, I'm going to explain and talk to you about some of the things that I've been through. And through all, all the things I went through, God comforted me. And he comforted me so that I can comfort someone else. I'm comforting you now because of the turmoil that you're going through. And you know, in life, we're going to all have struggles. We're going to all have challenges. We're going to all have trials. Those things come. But when God comforts us and brings us through those things, then now he's doing that so that we can be there for someone else who may not have the same level of faith that we have. And so we can be a source of comfort. Brother Fred, I want to see. You got a mic? We're in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. But even as Christians, I think most of the time we don't uh, let people know how God has comforted us in our situation. We'll tell them about a doctor, a lawyer, or some other source. Most of the time, our conversation is not how God brought us through, but how we got through otherwise, by other means. Amen. And, and you know, and later on, he's going to say that uh, in, in so many words that the source of all of our strength and the source of, that we have to rely on is God and not ourselves. And so therefore, when God brings us through something in life, then that's what testimony is all about. We're supposed to give him the credit for what he's done. We're supposed to praise him for what he's done. That's why he says this. Let me go back and read it again. He says, all praise to God, 
So we're, we're supposed to give God praise. We're supposed to thank him. We're supposed to acknowledge him for the things he's done for us. He says, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. Now look at this. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. Trouble comes to everybody. It, it, you know, it don't discriminate. Everybody go through trials, everybody go through challenges in life, and it come to everybody. But everybody don't see a way out and see God as a way out, as we do. And so therefore, when God bring us through something, that is supposed to be a part of our testimony so that now, when we run upon somebody else going through similar situation, we can comfort them. Saying that, hey, you know, if God was there for me, then God would be there for you. And sometimes confident people is nothing more than encouraging them. Every now and then, people just need to be encouraged in the situation that they're in, and we can give that self, be that source of encouragement because we know that God has encouraged us, or someone else has come along representing God and encouraged us. So say so he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. So you've got to always be concerned about other people and not just yourself sometimes, you know? And in order to do that, you gotta make yourself available to God. I mean, just allow yourself to let God's spirit speak to your heart and minister to you so that he can show us how we should minister to others. He said, now look, when they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Now he is not saying that as Christians, we're never going to have discomfort moments in our lives. It's almost like when you say that all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord. You know, yeah, they do, but all things that happen to us is not good. But in the midst of all things that's happened to us, we got to still believe that God's going to work it out for the, for the good. And so he's saying that, hey, God is the God of all comfort, and so therefore he can comfort us, and we got to believe that even though we may have some discomfort situation to come up in our lives, we got to believe that in the midst of that, God can still give us comfort. And that's what we have to have the assurance, because your day of discomfort is coming. Amen. It's like anything else in life. There are going to be times, distressing times come, discomfort times come, and you got to say, okay, when those times come, I'm going to have to depend on God. You know, because some things that happen to us, we can't always wrap our mind around, but we can always trust that God's going to bring us through those things. And so he was trying to say, he said, now look, he is able to give, we, we, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. But look at this, he says, verse 5, for the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with the comfort through Christ. Now, that message don't go today. Preachers don't talk about that today. You, you just turn on any religious channel, any religious, your favorite preacher out there, just listen to them. They ain't going to talk to you about suffering. Because they know the human mind don't want to suffer, you know, don't want to suffer. And, 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 and because we don't want to go through certain things, Jesus kind of made it clear to his disciples when he called them, when he said, take up your cross and follow me. The cross is a, is a symbol of 
suffering. So he's saying, hey, those who desire to live righteous will suffer persecution. I mean, so there's a certain amount of discomfort that just come with being a Christian. If you're really standing up for what you believe and not shrinking back when it's time for you to stand up for the gospel. Now, I'm not telling you go out there and pick fights with everybody, but every now and then, you got to be know when to stand. I got to make a stand on that. that. That's a hill that I'm willing to die on because that's a fundamental truth of the gospel. That's something that I know to be true. And so, therefore, I got to be willing to make a stand for something. And so he's saying that sometimes when we make that stand, sometimes suffering will come. And sometimes the suffering is that, you know, when you get serious about the Lord, there are going to be some of your friends that never going to believe that you don't change, don't want you to change, and as a result, you may have to suffer. You may lose a couple friends every now and then. Because God will give you a different vision for your life than they may have for your life. And so what you got to see is that sometime when you desire to live godly and you just desire to do what's right, there's going to be always somebody out there trying to tell you that you can do what's wrong. And with that comes a little bit of persecution. Now, don't y'all get on the edge of your seat because you live in America. And here in America, because we live in a free country, you can just practice any religion you want. You know, they, they ain't persecuting Christians here in America. You can get out there with your little cross and, and, and flag, and ain't nobody going to know them to come and beat you down and put you in jail. So we really don't know what suffering is like in America when it comes to being Christian. Because we got freedom of religion here. Everybody can practice their religion. But there are people all around the world who are suffering just because they believe in Christ. Because they're in countries that oppress religious freedom. But we're in a country that you can express yourself any kind of way. You can get your sign and go out down the street corner and say, Jesus is coming tomorrow. And ain't nobody going to mess with you. You just stand out there walking down the street. But we think about that. We don't think about suffering like these guys went through suffering and the persecution that they went through when they first became Christians and how the church was persecuted, thrown to the lions, you know, the Christians were, and, and you know, just, just persecuted. Most of the disciples died for the cause. Most of these guys did not die of just natural causes. You know, most of them was persecuted. They were put to death. And so we thank God that we're living in a time where we don't have to suffer like that, but every now and then you just got to deal with somebody talking about you because of your faith. That ain't real suffering now. That's just words. But, 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 but here these people's lives was at stake. And so that's the point he was trying to make. He said, look, man, the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with the comfort through Christ. He said, now look, he's talking about their situation, and, and I believe he was talking about here, if you go back and when we read the book of Ephesians and the book of Acts, we learned that there were several places that Paul went traveling, uh, spreading the gospel. He really got the beat down. I mean, he got beat down so bad, so, you know, they thought, left him for dead. They had to get him, let him down out of a window one time because they were riding, trying to kill him in Ephesus. So he was really going through some things. He was letting them know that, hey, man, we have been weighted down with troubles. Look at this, what he says. He says in verse 6, even when we were weighted down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. Man, he said, look, we are going through this 
so that we can be an example for you. It's to let you know that if God can bring us through it, he can bring you through it. He says, for when we ourselves are confident, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. So if I was, asked, was to ask some of you all right now, you know, what do you consider suffering in your life? Have you, do you feel like you ever suffered or anything because you say, you say, well, what would you consider suffering? Your answer is your answer. You know, what would you consider, man, because of my faith and because of what I believe in Jesus Christ, this is what I consider suffering to be. Anybody? Your answer is your answer. Lise, go ahead. You got your hand up? Get a mic. Miss Thelma got one. You got it? Sound like it's on. Yeah, you're good. Yeah, I mean, I got sick in January, was in the hospital for 11 days. I have never, ever been that sick before in my life. I put all four back surgeries, all the other surgeries I've ever had, I put all of them in that and never felt that sick before in my life. And it was like just holding on to my faith and knowing that God was in the midst of all of that is what got me through. But I'll never forget that Saturday night because I thought I was dying. And I just praise God for my life. I thank God for everything, everybody I could think of that he had placed in my life. I had given up. And I'll never forget I woke up like two or three o'clock in the morning and just sat up in the bed and just held up my hand and said, I shall see the hands of the Lord and just clean and I shall live and not die. And when I went back to sleep and woke up that Sunday morning, it felt like I was washed ashore, like I had been on a journey. And there again, I had to give God praise, but that's the most suffering I've ever done in my life. Amen. But look at me now. Amen. 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 Anybody else? Anybody? Your, again, your testimony, your testimony. Anything you feel like, hey, because of who I am, or I feel like I've been in a situation where I've suffered. Okay, so it's, that means we're living good here in America. If you, if you can't think of no suffering, that means, I, I mean, we might be living pretty good here. Okay, okay, get a mic. So as you say, you're suffering, self-inflicted. Okay, got it. Let, let's hear. Mine, mine, I say mine is self-inflicted only because of the choices that I made, and I went through things. I don't consider that suffering for God or suffering because I'm a Christian. I was suffering because I made bad choices. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and and, and Bible says that don't count. You don't you don't you don't get credit when you suffer for as being an evil doer. That, that you suffer persecution because you're an evil doer. You just get what you deserve. I mean, that, that's that, that's what he said. You know, yeah. I mean, you, you lied on somebody, and now they're coming at you. You get what you deserve. You can say Jesus made me lie on him, and so now I'm suffering for him. No, you get what you deserve. That don't count. But you did consider it suffering a little bit. Okay. Anybody else, brother Mike? I think I, um, I 
would have been in a fight because just being a Christian. That, that time when I, I think I gave my testimony here when I was on a job working in Destin. And these guys were, heard me always singing gospel. And I didn't know, for some reason, they wanted to fight. And then, um, and then I, I, I guess, um, I found out that they were devil worshippers at the end. After um, I wanted, I, Well, I got to a time when I wanted to fight back. And then I decided I'm going to take the law in my own hands, I guess. God warned their supervisor and their, everybody above them. So then when I went home one day, um, my wife told me about I had to fast. God told her to tell me to fast. So, and I said, I'll fast any time. So that's how I really responded. And then I had a friend, he had a crusade, and he had invited me, and then you know, he told me the same thing. So then after I fasted, I went back to the job, and I told them, spoke to them. And they said, they hate my Jesus. And they said, we hate God, the other guy. So I, I, and they said they were devil worshippers, and then I, I almost got myself in trouble just because of the gospel for that, in that point. So I, I didn't actually suffer, but I could have been in jail just because I was a Christian. Amen. And then they, they just hated Christ. Amen. Right there, Destin. Right. Oh, amen. I mean, you know, just, you know, just like God got people, the enemy got folks that he worked through too. Amen, amen. Uh, you know, in the spirit realm, there are evil spirits out there just like there are good spirits out there. And so therefore, uh, uh, evil is always present. Even when you desire to do good, the Bible say, evil is always present. Ms. Thelma, go ahead. Uh, oh my God. Um, the way I was suffering was uh, through family members. You know, some of my family members that I, I was really, really close to when I was out there with them, you know, doing everything. And then when my life changed, you know, some of my close family members don't want to have anything even to do with me because they call me so, you know, they call me holy roly, you know, so godly that they just don't want to be around me, you know. So it hurt me to my heart because they are my blood relatives, but I had to make a choice. I had to make a choice between them not having anything against me and not living for God the way I do, or living for God, and so, you know, preparing a place for me to go when I do leave this earth. So that was my choice, you know, to live for God, even though it was painful. When I go home, I still try to make amends with them, but they still don't have nothing to do with me, so, you know, that's their choice. Amen, and I think, you know, as long as, you know, we represent Christ by not isolating ourselves from people, but at the same time, you can't make folk accept you, you know what I mean? And so therefore, as long as you don't have to lose your identity to be friends with family and have friends and stuff like that, as long as you don't have to do that, you know, I'll tell people, hey, that's the, that's the testimony when we can take light into darkness. But, but, but sometimes when you do be light in darkness, with that gonna come some persecution. It just depends on how the light shine and how you present yourself. It could bring some persecution because, you know, just some people don't want to accept the fact that God could change somebody's life. And, and everybody always want to remember us how we were before, you know, that change occurred. And as a result of that, some people always try to put you back to where you used to be when you're trying to say, no, God has brought me to another place, you know. Okay, yes. I think my most major suffering is when I went through my divorce and when I got the job that I'm working at now. When I went through my divorce, I had to walk away from everything because I was just a newly 
Christian, really not understanding everything, but I had to walk away from everything in order to have a relationship with God because I wanted him and I had to convince myself that's the way to go. If I'm gonna make it, I gotta choose God. So when you, like Ms. Thelma say, everybody look at you like you're crazy when you say, God said this, or God said do that. Then you find yourself, it's just you and God, and you're newly into this thing. You're trying to figure this thing out because you wanted, did I make the right decision? And my second thing, my job, I was working two jobs. So God said, okay, I want you to quit this one. So I thought I was cool because I still had the second one. So a month after that, he said, okay, let this one go. And I was like, okay, now you want me to walk away from two? And so I remember having a struggle with, okay, am I going to do this? I got all these bills. So when I told my family, I know in the back of their mind, okay, she's gone crazy because I walk away from two jobs and I got all these bills. And I never forget, and King can testify, I said, God told me to walk away from both of these jobs. And so I said, okay, I'm just going to go to Panama City and try to figure this thing out. And so then he said, okay, you, when you come back, you can stay with us. Because I was in the back of my mind thinking, okay, you quit two of your jobs, but now you want us to help you, but you don't walk away two jobs and say, God told you to do it. <laughs> yeah. So by Kent saying, okay, when you go, you come back, you can stay with us. Little did I know God opened this job up, and I had went at least a month before uh, I went online and started looking, because I was just looking just to be looking. I wasn't really looking to apply for a job, but then I did it, not realizing God had a plan. He knew I was going to search it. He knew I was going to look for it. And so when this thing started opening up, I said, oh, what I got myself into, you know, because you had to do a clearance and you had to do all this stuff that I've never been exposed to. But just knowing that even in that, that's persecution. Anytime you make a decision for God, that's persecution. Because when people don't understand what God is doing, it looks crazy and foreign to them. But you got to know. At Amen. the end of the day, you got to know that that's God telling you what to do. Who you going to choose, him or what the people say or what people going to think. Amen. 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 Anybody else? Amen. I mean, it takes a lot of faith to, you know, to walk away from something that you got and trust God. But that's what faith is all about. Sometimes if you can see it, you don't necessarily need faith for it. You know, and I, I love what Martin Luther King uh, said about faith. He says, like, standing at the bottom of a staircase and you can't see the top. And all you can see is one step. But every time you take one step, the next step appears. But some people would never take the first step because they can't see the top. And they're focusing on something that's going to keep them in place instead of one step at a time, and they can eventually get to the top. And that's what faith is about sometimes. It's stepping out when things don't always make sense to you, but you trust in God for the outcome. And, and, and so that, that, that's powerful. So look what he says here say in verse 7. He says, we are confident that as you share in our suffering, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. He said, as we go through, we know that we are confident that, that we're struggling, and if you share in that, then God's going to comfort you just like he comforted us. Because one, he's not a respecter person. What he's done for one person, he'll do for another. And so therefore, we, we are confident that God is going to be with you. Then he says, look at this in verse 8 and 9. He says, we think 
you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. He says, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. And you kind of got to go back and read Acts in the book of Ephesus for Paul to kind of tell you some of the things they was going through when they was being persecuted and running out of one town, going to another town, and then going back to some of the same places that they had been run out of. But, but he said that at certain points in time, we got to the point that they didn't even think that we was going to make it through. He says, in fact, we even expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learn to rely on, only on God who raises the dead. That's going back to an argument that he made in the last chapter. You know, when I say now, I'm gonna forget about myself for a moment and say I'm gonna put all my trust in God because I know even if I die in this thing, one day you can raise me up. And, and see, what we gotta see is that so often we allow ourselves to get caught up in believing that it's all about us doing things and not giving God the credit for it. So therefore, we rely on our own intellect, our own intelligence, our own way of thinking, instead of saying, okay, God, I'm gonna trust you and I'm gonna trust the spirit that you have placed in me. And sometimes when I trust him and that spirit, it may not make sense to my natural man. Quitting two jobs. I mean, you tell a regular person, girl, the rule is you don't quit a job till you get another job. You need to have a job in the hand before you go and give your two weeks notice. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Turn the mic on. We're going to hear this. When I walked away from everything, me and my husband, we owned three properties. He got the cars. He got everything. My family had to come and bring me back. I'm a homeowner because I walked away from all of that. And I got a job making money that I never in my wildest dream would imagine it. In order to make what I'm making now, I would have had to work three jobs. I'm working one, what I would make to work three jobs. So it did benefit me. Amen. 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 And again, you don't see that when you take that first step. You know, you, you don't see it. But, but as you step and keep going, the more you go, the more God will show you. You know? Pastor, Pastor two, this, <clears throat> this verse, I mean, to me, it kind of debunks everything that Grandma told me. It said that God wouldn't put more on you than you bear. That's nowhere in the Bible. But, man, he went through, <laughs> he said he felt like he was about to die. That appears to me that that's more than you can bear. But I've always heard God won't put more on you than you can bear. I mean, I've all, always heard that. Always heard that. I, I think people take that from a, a text, I think in one of those Corinthians, maybe we're going to get it in this one, you know, where it says that God will always give us a way to escape. And, and they take that to mean, you know, that, hey, it didn't say that you weren't going to go through some things, but with every temptation, with every trial, with everything that comes, he is going to have a way out for you. And a lot of times, people have kind of taken scriptures like that and added a little twist to it and say, God won't put no more on than you're able to bear. And that may be a scripture in the Bible that say that specifically, but I, I agree with you. I, don't, I, I have not read that. But Brother Mike? Yes, more than he was referring to. But the, 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 the point about, about Paul wanting to die, I think the Bible, God self has told him he would suffer a lot because of the suffering that he put on the church. He had put a lot of suffering on the church. He was going and causing havoc to the church. And, and he, he had that zeal to kill Christians. So when he got converted, 
then he had to suffer himself. So now he actually telling us about suffering, which he experienced, he gave suffering to, to Christians, and he now he received it. So on both ends, he had been on both ends of the aisle. So with the suffering that he's going through, he's telling us because he used to kill Christians. He used to wreck Christians. He used to wreck churches. And now the Bible said he would have to suffer. So now he know what suffering is. And, and he had been how many times wrecked and, and left for dead. So now he can give an example to us on, on that part. Amen. And again, I think this key word here we says, we got to learn how to rely on God. I mean, and if you, if you don't think he's real, it's going to be hard for you to, you know, to rely on something that you don't believe is real. And, and, and that's where your spirit got to be strong at because now you're going to say, I'm going to have to rely on God. I'm going to have to trust God and believe that he, he knows what's best for me and he already have a plan for me. But all I need to do is make sure that I'm sensitive. And that's why it's important for you to study God's word. That's why it's important for you to have your own prayer life so that you can sense that God is talking to you either through his word or through someone preaching the word or confirming something that he's spoken to you in prayer. You know, because sometimes when we go to God to pray, you know, oftentimes we make it a one-way conversation because we do most of the talking instead of just sometimes prayer, just you listening and seeing what God is telling you to do at that particular time. And, 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 and if you can do that, a lot of times God confirms what he's saying with his word. I mean, he, he, it, it'll come back to you. You'll see something. Somebody will say something about a reason of scripture, and you'll say, man, I was, I was thinking about that scripture, you know, da, 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 and all of a sudden now I go to church, and that's the same scripture. That's God trying to say something to you. I mean, that ain't no coincidence. It ain't no coincidence that what Pastor must just knew. No, that's God trying to say something to you. I could have picked any other scripture in the whole Bible, and all of a sudden that one, and I, that's, that's part of my testimony. I got to tell people all the time, man, I was, it took, I was a hard sell. I was going to church, but it, it was hard for me to wrap my mind around, you know, God being all that. And, 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 and I, I, some of y'all don't heard me tell some of this, this how This is what convinced me in my natural mind, because I'm a logical thinking guy. Candace was about five months old, and she came down with meningitis. And at that time, I didn't know what meningitis was, but I know it, was, it could be deadly, especially with, with babies. And she had been in the hospital, you know, and, and struggling. And, 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 you know, they normally tell you 10 days, after 10 days, you can kind of get a feel if they're going to live or die and all that. We were going through that. And I'm at home worrying about stuff and, and all that. And i never forget the first time when God spoke to me, when they had been sticking her trying to find a vein to, to, to uh, get the IV in. And because she was so tiny, they couldn't do it. So they had to find a vein right here in the main artery, right here in her wrist. And the first time that guy came in there, Everybody else, they had them try to vein in a temple, in an arm. Like, this guy came in there and bam, hit it the first time. Okay, that's a sign. Okay, yeah, okay, I, okay, God, maybe you're trying to show me something. Then I went home and I was kind of, you know, standing around the house and then my neighbor across the street came across and uh, Jeanette was at the hospital and my neighbor came across the street and just said, hey, what you been doing? I said, well, I'm, you know, Candace in the hospital, kind of worried about that. And then she just opened up the Bible and told me to read this scripture. And I don't know why she told me to read it. She said, blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now that didn't make no sense to me. You know, I'm still one foot in the club, one foot in the church, baby in the hospital. 
But now I'm looking for God because, you know, when you need him, we're going to look for him. You know, nobody want to five months old to die. And so Jeanette had been in the hospital all that day, and she left to go to the BX, and some of her friends saw her at the BX, and because her mind was all out of place with Candace being sick, she walked by them and didn't speak to them. And they came at her hard. Who you think you are? Da-da-da-da, da-da-da, like that. And she said, hey, look, man. My baby in the hospital, my mind ain't, I didn't even see y'all, I, I, I'm out of it. And so she went back to the hospital, she was crying, and then the pastor of our church came by, Reverend Dickey, and she, while she, he was there, he, you know, she explained to him what had happened, you know, while, with her friends who saw her. And he opened up the Bible, and guess what he gave her? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. So when I got to the hospital, I said, hey, what happened? He said, well, hey, Reverend Dickey was by. I said, what did he do? He said, he left this scripture right here. And I read it. I said, that's a done deal for me. God got to be real. Of all the pastoral scripture that he could have left for her, he left the same one this lady left me at my, in my kitchen, standing in my kitchen. I knew right then, okay, God, I got to make some changes in my life. Because that ain't no coincidence. That's speaking to me. And I told you that right then. I said, Candace going to live. She's going to be all right. And 10 days later, Y'all right, still kicking today. All right? And so what I'm trying to tell you, I think everybody have moments when you can look back and that can become a, a point in time where you say, man, at that point in time, God showed himself to me and then now that made me a believer that God is real. You know? and, and, and everybody got to have that experience. Everybody got to have that moment in time when you come to the realization that we ain't playing church no more. You know, we are the church. You know, when I, I'm not just in this to play games with God, I'm in this to learn some things and try to be what he want me to be. And I, and I will always have that testimony because that I know that was the turning point in my life because I was going to church all the time. Jeanette had me going to Sunday school and all that. But, you know, after that, I wasn't living nothing. I mean, you know, I was doing all the right things for showing the church, you know, and they needed something for Christmas program. I'll buy a basket of apples and oranges and for the support the Christmas program. So I did all the nice outward things. But on the side, man, I wasn't living nothing. I was just kind of filling the square because she wanted me to fill the square. But, man, when that happened, it was game over for me. I knew something had to change. You know, Pastor, I think sometimes as children of God, God allows us to get in a position where we have no way else to turn but, but to him to let us know that, hey, I am your source. All those other sources is taken away. They're not around anymore. So all we, gotta, all, all we have is to turn to him. So we have no choice. So Amen. As his children, sometimes he put us in those positions. Amen. So look at this in verse 10. He says now, and he did rescue us from mortal danger. In other words, our life was in, in danger. And he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him. He will, we have placed our confidence in him and he will continue to rescue us. So Paul had this confidence now that if the Lord has come through for me once, he can come through for me again, you know. And, and so he believed in that, hey, God is the one who appoints life and death. And when, it's, when, my, when, when my appointed time comes, it don't make no difference. But until that time, if he's going to get me out of it, he will. And, and, and he was confident. He said, now look, and you are helping us by praying for us. Again, Paul was a firm believer in intercessory prayer. 
a firm believer in intercessory prayer. He, he said this in several places, and that's why I, I try to encourage us. Man, we got to learn how to pray for people when they are not with us. Prayer is a thing that we can use, and an instrument that we can use. No matter where people are in the world, we can all be praying for them. People can be praying for you, you can be praying for them. And that's why I encourage people, you know, I know prayer is, is kind of a, a, a boring drill, but man, we, we have an intercessory team that pray uh, and on, and on, in the mornings for 15 minutes, in the evening, and I encourage you sometime to just get on that line and just listen to whoever's doing the praying, and it'll let you know what people are going through. And then you can come alongside those people and pray for them just the same as the person who's actually doing the praying on the line. And, and that is something that we've been doing for years, and you know, we need more people that could be involved in that because there is power connected to our prayers. We gotta believe that God hears and answers our prayers. And, and sometimes you just may wanna get on there to listen because you can see and hear what other people are going through, and then now you can at least, on your own in some way, lift them up because, wait, I didn't even know this person was going through that. I didn't know this was happening in this person's life. You know, because Everybody at some point in time is going to need somebody to pray for. You know, you're just going to need somebody to pray for. And that's what, and that's the tool that God has given us. He says, and, and he says this now, and you are helping us by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. The many people praying, God heard their prayer, and Paul attributed that to, hey, we, got, we, we, we achieved this level of safety all because people were praying for us. You know, and, and again, first start out praying for yourself, your family, but then also intercede for others because you can't go wrong by lifting up people in prayer. Now, starting in verse 12, uh, Paul talks about his change of plans, and, and this was an abrupt change in this chapter because when he started talking about his his change of plan after he was, you know, kind of praised him a little bit and he, and he talked about his change of plan, then it looked like some people in the church got mad at it. You know, and, and every now and then when you change a plan, some folk in the church are gonna get mad at you. It just, it, it just some folk, they just, they don't understand. You know, they just get upset and, and that's okay. You know, and I look back at, you know, at even here at Strive, and I said, how does this fit here? I remember, you know, I'm older now, and so I tell people, my confession now is that as I've gotten older, I am not as dogmatic as I used to be. For some reason, when I was younger in the gospel, I was very dogmatic. I mean, I hey, look, this, that. So, you know, I, I held on to my upbringing, and so church was a very formal affair coming up. Very formal. You know, I, I, I guess our ancestors just felt like that was the only day of the week they can get clean, and we all had Sunday go to meeting clothes. And when you went to church on Sunday, you were gonna be clean, nothing else. And you knew that if you weren't gonna get nothing else on Easter, you were gonna get some clean new clothes that you could wear on Sunday. So I came into ministry with Sunday is Sunday go to meeting day. You don't haul off up in God's house with no jeans on. This is the lost day. And you definitely don't get up and preach with no jeans on. But as I got older, I said, okay, maybe I'm just holding on tradition 
That ain't law. It's just the way we do things based upon how I was brought up. So when someone came in and said, hey, we ought to be able to wear jeans. What? You even got the nerve to ask that question? You don't see nobody up here in leadership wearing no jeans. But what's wrong with it? And eventually, I had an epiphany and said, okay, let's get together a little committee. We'll determine what kind of jeans we can wear because at that time, you know, jeans had a lot of holes in them. And so I didn't want to make sure somebody came up with no holes in the jeans and, you know, the little cheeks were showing and all that. So you got to say, well, here's the rules. There's certain jeans you can wear and there's certain jeans you can't wear. You know what I mean? We've got to have some guidelines. We're going to have some guidelines. So we got a group of people together. They say, okay, here's what the jeans got to look like. They got to be this, this, and this. And then it's okay, now let's implement the change. Well, when we did that, there was a side of me that was still dogmatic and said, man, what about all the people who all those years wanted to wear jeans, but they never bucked the system. They never came against it. And all of a sudden, now these folks come in here and look at Pastor today on a Wednesday night with jeans on. Man, that wouldn't have happened. That wouldn't have happened 10 years ago. You wouldn't have saw me with no jeans on on a Sunday morning or nothing like that. But that was a change, and that was not, it wasn't a doctrinal change because the Bible ain't got no problem with that, but it was the way I was conditioned and brought up. So I thought Sunday was supposed to be a very formal day until I started talking to some young people saying, man, we don't even own suits no more. What? Y'all ain't got a suit? Everybody got an Easter suit, man. Everybody got a suit. Man, we don't even own no suit. What do you mean a suit? I say, okay. So it's unfair to make a young guy have to go out and buy a suit just to work in the sound booth. Huh? Just when you got him a suit? <laughs> but okay, just I ain't, I ain't mad at you, man. I ain't mad at you. I ain't mad at you, man. <laughs> Finley may go get him one too. <laughs> but, 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 but my point is that, 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 that sometimes we can be dogmatic about things that has nothing to do with somebody's salvation. It just become our tradition, our customs, and therefore we honor those. And when we change those things, it don't mean that we are going backwards or anything. It just mean that, hey, we just made a change, you know? And somebody came and me and said, man, this is Florida. You know, it's 100 degrees outside. Who want to come to church with a three-piece suit on? You know, it's, it's, it's Florida. So, yeah, I ain't never think about it like that. So I had to repent because I used to literally almost curse the Catholic Church because that was the first time I saw people go to church with shorts on, with flip-flops on, with tank tops on. And I'm saying, where in the world are those folks going? They said they're going to church. I said, no, they ain't. They're going to hell, man. They don't even know how to dress up to go to church. But then I found out that they didn't take that suit thing like we did in the Baptist church. And, you know, and, and I, that opened my eyes, too. But at the same time, it took me a while to grow out of that because I was just accustomed to thinking that, hey, man, you have to wear a suit to church. That was the way we were brought up, and that's what we thought. And so as we see that sometimes plans do change, and long as those plans don't change something that's fundamentally true to the gospel, then methods can always change. How we do things can change as long as the fundamental truth and the principles don't change. You know, we're not gonna, we're not gonna ever stop, as long as I'm here, stop doing communion. Never. Now, we may not 
one day somebody said, hey, let's not do it on the first Sunday. Let's do it on the third Sunday. Okay, that's just a minor change. Let's do it. As long as we do it, all you do is do it for me. But then there'll be some people say, hey, man, first Sunday is it. If you don't do it on first Sunday, that's, that's the day. Well, that's the way I was conditioned. But then there are some churches that don't do it but once a quarter, once every six months. And then there are some churches that have communion every time they come to worship. And so it's just a matter of what your preference is when it comes to things that's not scripturally saying you've got to do it this way. And that's when sometimes when we're going to see here that Paul made a change in his plans and, uh, and he had to start justifying himself to the very church that he started. Now look at this. He says in verse 12, we can say with confidence and a clear conscience that we have lived with a God-given holiness and sincerity in all our dealings. You're trying to say, look, man, we, we, we came to you with, and we got a clear conscience that what we did, we did it with honesty and we did it with sincerity. When we was dealing, when we was teaching this gospel, we were preaching this gospel, we did it from the right motivation. He says, now look, we have depended on God's grace, not even our own human wisdom. That is how we have conducted ourselves before the world, and especially towards you. He, he said, now look, when we represented God before the world, man, we did it in a way that would bring glory and honor to God. He says, now, we conducted ourselves in a way that you should not be able to come back and fall out with us all because we changed our trip plan. But now what happens is, later on we're going to see, is that they were using this change to discredit the message. And so in order to discredit the message, you attack the messenger. And if you can destroy his credibility, then that means that, hey, nobody will want to believe what he is saying. And so that goes back to maybe what we've had this conversation before. Can a bad preacher teach a truthful message? But sometimes if I know the preacher is bad because he drink a little bit on the side, then now when he get up and preach the truth, you can't receive the truth because you know how he's living on the side. Instead of saying, okay, can I just hear the truth of the gospel and put on blindness and not focus on the individual. That's hard to do. And so Paul said, hey, we're going to see here that they was trying to discredit him by saying, hey, this dude lying to y'all. And, and he had to come back and defend that with these people because he started this church. And he was upset that some of them had turned against him because false teachers had gotten in there. So he says now, he says in verse uh, 13, our letters have been straightforward and there is nothing written, be uh, written between the lines and nothing you can't understand. I hope someday you will fully understand, even if you don't understand now. Then on the day when the Lord Jesus returns, you will be proud of us in the same way that we are proud of you. He says, now, I'm telling you the truth. I was straightforward with you. I didn't leave nothing to, for you to read between the lines. There was no small print that you may, may have missed. I told you the truth. I told, told you straight up, straight to your face, and made it plain to you. 
But if you can't receive that, then I'm going to hope that one day you'll understand that when Jesus comes back, that what I told you was the truth, even though you may have be, be upset with me for not coming back to see you on this second trip. And see, sometimes people miss powerful messages because they can't look at the message and get the truth out of the message by looking past the messenger. Because all messengers got flaws. All messages got flaws. You just may not know about them, but they all got flaws. We all got flaws. And so therefore, sometimes what we got to understand is that, hey, I need to just put on blindness, close my eyes, and just listen for the truth. Now, in public speaking, they used to tell us all the time, you know, people are not like that. They will see your mismatch tie, not coordinated with your shirt and all that. And instead of them listening to you, they just focus on that loud tie that you got on. That just popping, popping. And you up there trying to teach them the powerful message of their life, and they can't get over the fact that you got a tie that don't match your suit, in their opinion. And we used to tell that to people in the choir. Hey, ain't nothing wrong with having jewelry on. But man, if you got 10 earrings around your ear and, you know, an eyelid and all that, Somebody gonna miss the message. Cause they're not gonna be able to look past that, but they should be able to. But they're gonna look at that and say, oh God. God, all them, all them hoes. And they up there singing Amazing Grace, like we tell Sunday. Cause they, they can't make a distinction. And when they we ought to be able to go to church and say, okay, God, let me just close my eyes and, and allow the Spirit to minister to me. Because sometimes I think we miss blessings because we see the messenger and we start judging the messenger instead of taking in the message that is being given. That's why Jesus told his disciples, hey man, the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. The things that they tell you to do, you take heed and do. But just don't watch them. Don't look at them when they get through preaching because they're going to tell you to do the right thing, but they ain't going to do it themselves. So don't you miss your blessing because you worry about they ain't going to do it themselves. You say, I'm going to accept the truth whether he living that truth or not. I know Major, that's a tough one. <laughs> Get your mic. Lisa, you know, Lisa want to say something first, Major, because we done been in with you before, Major. We know you, I know you ain't moved on this position not one iota. I got it. <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to tell them how strict you used to be. Oh. His, <laughs> his first set of deacons, y'all, and leaders was second set. Thirty cent, two problems. You couldn't pray for people wearing jeans. You couldn't sing in the choir wearing jeans. Pastor was strict. I mean, there were certain things we just couldn't do. No toe rings, overtoe sandals. If you were a woman, I mean, he was bad. <laughs> you know, you say thank God for change, huh? <laughs> yeah, I was. I mean, I, I, it didn't. It didn't appear that I was bad. It just felt like oh, we just got rules. We got guidelines. Strict, strict bad, yeah. But, but coming out of the military, I was used, most of our members was used to that. Because most of us came out of the military, we knew 3510, we knew what the crime was. But what happens is when people started joining the ministry who were never in the military, they didn't understand all this order and uniformity and all this type of stuff. So they would question, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? And then it just took them a long time to wear me down until I finally, okay, one day, you know, change came. 
Okay. Anybody else? Who else was raising their hand? Major, go ahead. No, no, I was just thinking, I mean, I haven't moved some on it, but I was just thinking in term, terms of, you know, how we witness and how we bring people to Christ. And a lot of times when we do, they don't know a lot about the word, so they're looking at the person. And if I seen you, you know, coming out of a hotel at 2 a.m. and then as Saturday, then on Sunday, I see you up in the pulpit, then, you know, I'm looking for an example. I, I'm looking for an example because I'm, I don't fully understand the word anyway, so I'm saying, well, man, how can he preach to me about living that lifestyle and he's not living that himself? And then that's what I'm turned off about. Not, not that, hey, I'm listening for a powerful message because I don't understand the word, so I'm looking at people for an example that I can follow and those people should be living the correct way, because if we don't, then now we seem hypocritical. Amen. Okay, good point. Uh, excellent point. Any other comment? Any other comment? Okay, good point. Now, now so May J moved up one iota on that position. He'd have moved just a little bit. But, but he said, you know, he, he was straightforward to them. He, he didn't try to mislead them. And he was hoping and praying that one day when Jesus returned, that they will see how sincere and how true he was in the gospel that he was presenting them. He said, now look, verse 15 says, since I was sure of your understanding and trust, I want to give you a double blessing by visiting you twice. I mean, I was, I, I mean, I, I, I was gonna come, but then I had this unscheduled interruption and I didn't make it back. First, on my way to Macedonia, and again when I returned from Macedonia, then you could, send me on my way to Judea. Now look at this, verse 17 says, you may be asking why I changed my plan. Do you think I make plans carelessly? Do you think I am like people of the world who say yes and really, when, I, when, really, when they really mean no? So in other words, now he's trying to defend himself a little bit there. He said, hey, you know, because I made these change of plans, don't hold that against me. I know you were expecting me to come, but later on, we're going to see in a few, that part of the reason was he changed because he, they were doing some things that he know he wanted to rebuke them for. And so he, he said, rather than go there and have to get back into it again, like the first Corinthians, I'm going to try to just avoid that this time because I'm going to believe that they can work out some of these issues themselves. They were still having issues in the church, and he didn't want to go back there and just look like he was stirring up something that was going, still going wrong. So he says, verse 18, he says, now, now, as surely as God is faithful, my word to you does not waver between yes and no. And, and, and that's why, you know, Jesus said, you know, sometime, you know, when, as Christians, you know, our yea ought to be yea and our nay ought to be nay. You know, if you know, if you say you're going to do something, then you can't keep your word based on convenience. If you say you're going to do it, you're going to have to do it unless, you know, something really come up that's legitimate. You just can't make a weak excuse and say, oh, it's no longer convenient for me to do that. I don't want to be inconvenienced. Then you should never put your word on the line. You should never say that I'm going to do it. Our word as Christians ought to be our bond, like in the old days, you know? But, you know, nowadays, you know, we don't hear people talk about my word is my bond, you know? That was before people could write and could write their name. All they had was their word. 
And if I told you I'm going to do something, unless something's going to come up that's going to thread my life or somebody's life I'm, uh, that's dependent on me, then I'm going to make it happen. And so he was trying to say, he said, hey, look, you got to understand, I don't waver back and forth when it comes to the truth of the gospel. I'm not wavering on the foundational truth of the things that God has called us to do and how we represent Jesus Christ. I am not going to waver on any of those because he come back now to let us know that the point he was trying to make is that Jesus Christ is the yes and the amen when it comes to the truth of the gospel. This is what he said in verse 19. He says, for Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas, that's who we're traveling with, Timothy, and I preach to you, and as God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. So he said, now, when it comes to me representing him and representing the gospel, I'm going to preach the gospel, and I'm going to stand on the truth and believe that, hey, Jesus is God's yes. Jesus is God's amen. So therefore, when we preach and teach, we want people to agree who Jesus is. And what he represents. And so he used, he shifted the argument from himself because they wanted to criticize him for not coming there. And he put the argument back on Christ and said, hey, we represent Christ. And as we represent Christ, he is the ultimate yes and he is the ultimate amen. And so therefore, don't look at us as the ultimate example. Look at him. Lise, go ahead. Um, what do you think is the reason for a lot of people turning away from Jesus during this time. During this time? It's like it any different than what we're reading about now during the biblical times. Or, I don't know because to me it's hard when you know that you know that you know. Especially like ministers and stuff who's been up preaching and teaching God's word to turn away from it. Is it worth it? You know? Well, you know, and, and I, I, I can't speak for any other minister, you know, what they've been through, how they got their call, and what, how they got to where they are, or what they may have been disillusioned, because a lot of times, you know, what happens is, is that sometimes we can forget that church folk is church folk is church folk, and they're human too. And so sometimes when people get disillusioned, I joined this church, man, and Therefore, I done hit utopia and everything going to be everything. We're going to always be happy, happy, kumbaya. It don't work that way. And so sometimes I think ministers who have been in the ministry, and a lot of times when I see this happen on a serious level, it is normally people who were brought up in strong Christian families. And they had the opportunity to look behind the curtain and see what the wizard was doing when the wizard wasn't at church. And that gave them the mindset that, hey, all this stuff that these people who are close to me are talking about and doing, like Major not saying, they ain't living none of that. And so therefore, these, some of these high-powered guys' children are turning away from the faith, and then now they're going through this process of trying to deconstruct the faith. Now, some say we're not trying to deconstruct it to destroy it. We're trying to deconstruct it and build it back up in a more modern way. But a lot of the guys I'm reading now is pulling people away from the gospel, starting you to doubt whether or not every scripture in there is true. Did God really mean that about marriage? Do he really care who you marry? Well, I mean, Jesus kind of said he did. 
But if someone want to deconstruct that and say, well, hey, we're living in a time now, well, you just marry whoever you love. Okay. Yeah. Well, just marry whoever we love. So if I do that, then I, I, I can go, can't go back and say, well, Jesus said, you know, marry between a man and a woman. That's going to be a comfort. So I got to deconstruct that and say, well, did he really mean that for today? Do, do you think that a loving God will frown on two loving people get married? And that makes sense. I mean, yeah, yeah, he is love. God is love. But either you're going to have to believe what Jesus said or not. And so when people don't know what they believe, and then now we can say, okay, love can be spread so, so broad, and that's good, that now people say, okay, you don't love someone because you disagree with their position on something. I can still love you, but I don't have to agree with everything you say. Just like you don't have to agree with everything I say. But, but, but when there's some fundamental things that don't line up with Scripture, this is where the church, I think, is trying to nuance its way through this now. Because back in the day, the church had a clear position on a lot of these issues. But now, because of the way churches operated, and not just a particular church, but the body of Christ in general, there's a lot of debate and discussion about issues like that. That when in the old days it was just understood that we're going to trust the word and do what the word says. Well, wouldn't that be the same thing you would have said? Because I mean, like the word of God was the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. Can y'all hear me? Mm -hmm. you, wouldn't that be changing the word though? Like well, if you, because any of us can go back and write the Bible and make it fit what we want it to be. But well, it says the word of God is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever. Okay, and then, you know, somebody will come back and say, well, in the Old Testament, he said, if your children embarrass you and, and rebel against you, you're supposed to take them out to the marketplace and stone them. <laughs> That's in there. So, I don't see many of us running down to the marketplace stoning our kids. So someone would use that argument to say, if God would change on the stony thing, under grace, then maybe he'll change on the marriage thing. But Jesus didn't change on the marriage thing when he defined it, when he was talking about it in the Sermon on the Mount. But there are a lot of passages that people can go back and say, okay, they did it that way then, it used to be an eye for an hour. We don't practice that no more, then, so, so why can't we change this? And so when people don't know what they believe and how their faith runs through things, then now what happens is they listen to a lot of different people, and what happens, they get confused, and then now they start pulling away from the faith. And that's why I tell people, instead of arguing about all of those things that people are going to disagree on, you can't walk away from Jesus Christ being the Son of God. You know, his death, burial, and resurrection. That's the foundation of the thing of the gospel. Now we got churches out there that will accommodate anybody. Amen. And I mean in mainstream churches. I mean like you can go to a Presbyterian church here, a Methodist church here. Churches are splitting up all over those issues right now. And so what you got to know is where you fall and what you, what you believe, and then you got to be able to stand on what you believe and still love people. I mean, it's not about hating anybody. It's just a matter of, okay, this is what I believe on this particular matter. We agree that we're going to disagree, but I ain't going to hate you. But don't make me 
believe something, try to believe, make me try to believe something that I don't, I don't agree with based on scripture. And so, going back to your question though, Lisa, and your comment, yes, as I read literature now, every day when I, I'm reading through the, the gospel notes and stuff that I get in, I, I see a lot of that. I see a lot of that happen with prominent leaders. They are now starting to look like they wavering on what they believe as far as the truth of the gospel. And, and I think it's because they're trying to appeal to a wider audience. And so therefore, if I can, if I can blur that line enough, then I can get more people into what I'm doing. And then now what you will see in those ministries, very seldom would Jesus be the center of the attraction. You won't, you won't hear his name mentioned a lot. You can just, just look at some of these shows, uh, 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 programs, uh, 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 religious programs on television, and see how many times Jesus' name is invoked, or even mentioned, talked about. Because again, he had been minimized now, even by the Christian church. You know? And so it's just a, you know, that's why we try to learn and study for ourselves, to show ourselves approved, so we'll know where we stand on certain things, okay? Okay, got a hand up. Yes, Brother Mike. Yeah, the Bible also made it clear that as we approach the last days, that there will be a great falling away from the truth and uh, go to fables. So that's why song doctrine is important. And in some cases, Paul spoke about it. That if you, cannot, if you don't get song doctrine and proper teaching, then you're going to follow a lot of preachers who they have been preaching true gospel, but after a while, start watering down everything. And then if you doesn't know the truth, the true gospel, they will they can lead you astray. The Bible said in the last days, there'll be a great falling away. And there'll be itching ears. Men will have itching ears. Tell them what they want to hear. Yeah. And that is what happened happening in our time. If you can tell them what they want to hear, you'll have great followers. If you change your doctrine to pure, pure teaching, like the gospel is, and you start to give them things they want to hear, you will have a lot of people following you. And that's, what, that's, that's where we are right now. Amen. Amen. Okay, so look at verse 20. He says, For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes, and through Christ our amen, which, is, which means yes, ascends to, the glory, ascends to God for his glory. And look at verse 21. He says, For it is God who enables us, along with you, to stand firm in Christ. Again, so this attacking, you know, Christ and Christianity is not new. He's saying, look, even though people are coming against it, it's God who enables us, along with you, to stand firm for Christ. Somebody got to stand firm for him. And then he started going how he saw himself and how God had commissioned them to do what they were doing. He says, he has commissioned us. In other words, God had anointed them and appointed them to be his representative. That's why Jesus told his disciples, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I am with you even to the end of the age. So we have all been commissioned. You have a commission on your life to go out and share the gospel with somebody else. But if you're wavering on it, you're not going to share it because you're not sure what you really believe and how, how, how you see Christ in your life. And so you can't convince someone else of something that you're not really convinced of. 
But if you have a conviction in your heart and you know where you stand when it comes to the Lord, then now you accept your commission. I have been commissioned. I have been anointed. I have been, you know, appointed to go out and represent him in the earth. He didn't take us out of the earth or out of the world. He left us in the world. But he commissioned us to be light in darkness. So he says he has commissioned us, verse 22, and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything that he has promised. In other words, he said, now look, God commissioned us, he identified us as his children. Then he's on top of that, he did that by placing the Holy Spirit. That's why in other writings he's talking about the Holy Spirit is our seal of redemption. Uh, and, and it redeems us and seals us until Jesus comes back. And so he's saying here, God put his spirit in you to mark you, to let the world know you belong to him. And it's up to you to live like you have God's spirit in you. He said, now look, he is the, as the first installment. You know, when you make an installment, that, like he said, that God is now making a down payment on you, Major, when he put the Holy Spirit in your heart, and that down payment is saying that, hey, you can bet that what he promised you, you're going to get. As a result of having Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, he's saying every promise that God has made to you, he gave you a down payment for that promise. And the promise that we're waiting for is eternal life. We, we, that down payment is to keep us to believe that there is a heaven somewhere out there, no matter what people say about it, that, that one day we're going to end up where he's at. That's a down payment. And if you don't see that as a down payment, then someone will talk you out of heaven. Talk you and say, you know, who told you heaven is real? And I know people used to get up and tell these testimonies, you know, grandmama came back and talked to me. I, I can't say that. I mean, I, if, grandma, if your grandmama came back and talked to you and told you heaven was real, then that may be how I told you. Ain't nobody ever came back and told me. I, I, I didn't get up waking up in the middle of the night to say, hey, all I got to know that heaven is real is what the Holy Spirit bear witness of and the word of God. Now, if you done got a visitation, I ain't knocking that. It's, it's, it may work for you has not happened to me. So everything that I believe about heaven is based off on my faith and what I've read and what I've studied and how the Holy Spirit has ministered to my heart. And so, but when I talk about heaven, I talk about it like I understand it and I believe it. I don't talk about it like, hey, there's some doubt in my mind. No, I'm going to talk about it just like, hey, God says that's his, his place of abode and one day we're going to all end up there. Hey, I'm believing that. And I'm going to take that with me all the way to the grave. And so what I'm trying to say, you got to have something that you stand on that you believe, and you got to see the Holy Spirit. In, in, a, 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 in Ephesians, he say, the Holy Spirit is our seal to the day of redemption. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like, you know, some of y'all feeling y'all too young, but back in the day, when we couldn't afford jelly and jam, we had to make our own. Yeah, we call them preserves. They boil the pears up and put some sugar in them and all that honey. Then they go get these little mason jars and put on top of them and seal them up. And you know that stuff sit on grandmama's shelf for five years. As long as that seal ain't what broke, them preserves were still good. And so what he's trying to say is just like we can seal, preserve, the Holy Spirit has sealed you. And, and as long as you understand that, nobody can snatch you out of God's hand because you have been sealed. And he's holding you until the day of redemption. Mother Lada, you want to say something? Pastor, you know, Pastor, um, I have seen God work 
for me. I know God is living in me. No matter what I'm going through, what problems, what difficulties coming my way, I know there is a God. He loves me and cares about me, so I cannot give up. I have to keep on going because, you know, I remember when God has spoken to me and told me, put the water on to boil on the fire. And I said, God, what am I putting in it? He said, put it, light the fire, put the water on, on the fire. So I put the pot, and in a minute, when as the water start boiling, then the man, a man comes from up the road and with a bag, a big bag of food, and he said, look, I bring that for you because of this one that had did me so much good, so I would not forget you, madam, because I know he used to call me madam. <laughs> so he used to say, I would not forget you and your children. I know you have a lot of children there, so I bring a bag of Amen. And I tell him, thank you. Thank you so much. And I say, wow, there is a God. I know there is a God. I cannot give up. I have to keep on going to take care of my children. And then I put the food on fire. While the food start boiling, cooking, I see somebody coming up under the road with a pot on his shoulder. He's the policeman. I know he was going to the same church with me. And then he bring up that, I see him coming up. I said, that is not brother, sister Magdalene, husband. No, come in there. Then he come up and he bring that box and put it down. See, sister Eliza, I was thinking of you so much. You and I had so much. We come, I, saw, I asked my wife, let me bring up this for you. Everything I had need was in that box. Amen. The groceries. And then I have seen God fasting, praying. I seen God working my and me for me. He worked, he made the way for me to come up to the States with my four children. Four small children. I said, I'm not leaving them back. I'm coming with them. And they will give me favor. I fast, I pray. I go to Barbados. Nobody knows I go to Barbados. But I went to Barbados to get their visas and everything. And I got multiple indefinite visas for only four children, five children. For five of them. And I come up to the States, Pastor. I see God. We, it's God's hand. I get favor with the, the immigration and everything. And I come up here. And God see me through until I become a citizen here. Amen. So I have to give God praise. Amen. I have to give God thanks. Amen. I have to go to church. I have to praise God. Amen. I have to pray. Amen. I have to pray for people because I have seen the mighty hands of God. I have seen God work for my, from me. And I was sick. God healed me. He do things for me. Take care of me. Take care of my children. Put in my spirit what to do for them to get better. I went to a hospital in Dominica, in, in Roseau, Dominica. When I reached in the hospital, I seen my child, I don't get, that was scandal. He was so sick and fever and I fun on him. I said, but what are you giving him? I take my child. I said, give me my child, please. I just take my child, put clothes. The doctor tell me, if something happened to him, you will, you, you will be, you will, they will do you something. I said, cannot do me nothing because I serve in a mighty God. An awesome God. Amen. He, he saved my soul. He will save my child. I take my child and I go. When I reach home, I make my own medicine for him. And the boy get when he get up from his sleep, he was sweating after the medicine I did for him. He sweat all the water from him. And then he said, Mommy, I will. Amen. I am well. Amen. So brothers and sisters, don't be afraid of people, what they say about you. They have said a lot about me. They have tried to do me a lot of harm. But God is with me. 
Amen. God is with me. Amen. I am not turning back. I'm Amen. not going nowhere else. But God, I know him. I know him because he speaks to me. He, when he's telling me to do something, I say, okay, Father, all right, I'll do it. When I was in Tampa, he told me, go back to, down, to Fort Walton Beach. Go back to your church. I say, okay, Father. I've never tell anybody that. But I know he speaks to me. Amen. And when I was in church, they had loved me. They wanted me because they know I'm a prayer warrior. Brother Joseph had loved, Pastor Joseph had loved me. <laughs> they loved me, his wife, Sarah. And they wanted me to be there. But I said, God asked me to go back. I want to go back to Fort Walton Beach. Amen. He told me to go back to the church he was. I said, okay, I'll say, Father, I'll go. I'll go. I went to Dominica, and after Dominica, I did not even know I was going to that place I, was, I am living right now. And when my son told me, come take the flight from Dominica to Miami, from Miami to, to, to Pensacola. I said, Pensacola? Okay, all right. I'll do what you say. I'll do it. And God, it was still God. God opened the way. God do it for me. He can do it anything for you. Anything. Amen. When you put your trust in him, you put your confidence in him, and knowing that he is with you, stay strong. Still God. God make that water boiling, and the food was coming one behind the other. The groceries, everything. I have to take care of them. I take care of my children. Amen. Because I know who God is. Amen. Amen. Yes. Thank you. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> and he raised, I raised him up. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. All right. Yes. Verse 23 and 24, so we can get out, we can get out of here. Look, he said, now look. He says, as he was talking to them, and you're talking about the Holy Spirit being God's first installment. He says, Now I call upon God as my witness that I am telling the truth. In other words, that's a legal term, a legal expression. It's like I'm calling God to the witness stand, and God is going to testify on my behalf that what I'm telling you is true. That's almost like when we was coming up. I know, Finley, y'all were too young. Y'all remember this. But when somebody thought we was lying, I swear for God. I mean, you know, you, you remember coming up and saying, I swear for God. You know what I mean? I swear for God I'm telling the truth. You know, we still be lying. We say it because we heard it. I swear for God. Now, now, for us, though, we didn't believe God. But when you say, I swear on my mama's grave, that was a deal, that was a deal breaker right there. Now, when you say that one, I know you ain't lying now. But, but, we, but we used to swear a lot like that. But you know, that's what Jesus had come down and said, man, just let your yay be yay and your nay be nay. But we did used to swear on some things when we was coming up. We didn't know no better, but we heard other folks do it, so we did. So he said, look, I call upon God as my witness that I'm telling you the truth. The reason I didn't return to Corinth was to spare you from a severe rebuke. In other words, I, I want to say some things, and I want to criticize you in a sharp way, but, but I decide not to come back right now to spare you. But then he come back and let them know he didn't see himself as dominating and being domineering over them. But he said, now look, but that does not mean we want to dominate you by telling you how to put your faith into practice. We want to work together with you so that you will be full of joy, and for it is by your own faith that you stand firm. Not my faith. You got to stand on your faith. You can't stand on anybody else's faith, and so therefore, we need to understand that God has given all of us a measure of faith, and you just got to stand on your measure. And then as we walk together in first, 
faith, we should be able to work together for the good of the kingdom. Amen? Amen. All right, get a lot of hand clap of praise. Uh, amen. Thank God for tonight. Thank God for your comments and, 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 and your participation.